peace on earth and let it begin with me. Let there be peace on earth, the peace that was meant to be with God our Creator. Children all are we. Let us walk with each other in perfect harmony. Let peace begin with me. Let this be the moment now. With every step I take, let this be my solemn vow. To take each moment and live each moment in peace eternally. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Grace and peace, and welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. My name is Taylor Mertens. I serve as the pastor here, and I'm delighted that you have decided to join us for worship today. Welcome. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we are here to rejoice and be glad in it. There are a lot of things going on in the life of Cokesbury United Methodist Church. We're continuing to send out uh, weekly email devotionals, providing Facebook Live videos, online worship, all sorts of things. You can find out more about our church through our church website or our Facebook page. There's an online bulletin for our service. You can find it uh, by accessing it through one of the links in the video description. That bulletin has our hymns, uh, or, well, our hymn and our prayers, our scripture, all that sort of good information. So I commend that to you if that is at all helpful for you. I want to begin today by talking about, uh, obviously, the things that have been going on in the United States this last week. Uh, the images and the sights and the sounds and the videos of what happened in the capital and also across uh, the country and other state capitals was quite harrowing and frightening. Uh, Cokesbury is in Woodbridge, which is in northern Virginia. It's not too far from Washington, D.C. I grew up in Alexandria, so even closer. Uh, this is a, a very, very frightening time and a very, very frightening moment. I encourage you to be deep in prayer about what is happening. I also want to suggest that we, we take pause to consider what we're doing when we're calling out the sins and the misgivings of other people. Uh, part of our Christian responsibility is to call a, a sin what it is, to say certain things are wrong. That's important and good work. Uh, but the way that we've been doing this on social media kind of forever is wildly problematic because what we're doing is, in a sense, thinking about the parable, uh, the, the parable of the, of the Pharisee, the publican and the Pharisee. We like to say, well, at least we're not like those people over there. Uh, one of the things we affirm about the Christian faith is that we are all sinners who have fallen short of God's glory. That means that we're all in the boat together. And that's a very, very important thing for us to remember. And I'd like to just encourage you to think about how Rather than just thinking about how all these other people need to fix all their problems, that there is a peace that can begin with each of us. We should be people who strive for peace in this world, uh, and I think somehow it's possible, I can't believe it, we need it even more now than we ever have before. So pray. Pray deeply for peace to reign, for God to pour out God's Spirit on us, that we might be a people who believe in the power of peace. So with that, I'd like to also share with you that we are in the midst of a sermon series about, uh, we're calling the Jesus Prayer Book. We're looking every week at one of the Psalms that show up in the Gospels. Uh, the Psalms are sort of Jesus's favorite playlist. 
as you're reading through the Gospels, you'll see that the Psalms show up again and again. They're either words, uh, the Psalms are, are the words that Jesus uses to describe himself, or they're the words that other people use to describe who Jesus is. And so by looking at the Psalms, by, by spending time listening to Jesus's favorite playlist, we're going to learn more about who Jesus is, but also who we are in relation to, uh, to Jesus. So I hope you're enjoying this. I hope you're uh, enjoying the, the playlist, Jesus's favorite playlist, as we continue to listen more and respond more to the Jesus prayer book. So with that, I'd like to encourage you now to just perhaps close your eyes for a second, find a comfortable posture, and let's sit silently before the Lord. Lord, let thy will be done. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful, wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I hope you have no doubt noticed by now that I am wearing what is quite possibly my favorite outfit in the world. I am wearing my overalls. I love these overalls. And I'm wearing them for two reasons. One, because I love them and they're comfortable, but also because today we're going to be thinking about and, and listening to and reflecting on the manna from heaven that God pours out on God's people, uh, but also the bread of life that is God's new manna in the person of Christ Jesus. And the way that that connects, not just because farmers wear things like this out in the fields and, and bread and grain and all that, but God's grace is poured out for all. And when God says all, God means all. And I've come to find, even though we haven't been able to worship in person in nine months, that we often kind of has, have this expectation that we have to wear the right clothes, that we have to have the right behavior, that we have to have all these, these boxes ticked off in order to be God's people. Well, God doesn't really care about uh, the clothes we wear or even, you know, the, the sort of behaviors that we have sometimes. God just wants us just as we are. And so today, this is how I want to be. I want to be comfortable in my overalls because God's grace is poured out for all, no matter what you wear, no matter what you look like, no matter where you live, all that sort of stuff. And so I'm trying to embody that today and what I'm wearing. So with that, let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy that the manna from heaven has been poured out for all, and all means all. And now, Lord, each of us will lift up to you silently or aloud our own joys and concerns this day. And as you taught us, Lord, so now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. 
As I said earlier in the service, we're looking through the Jesus prayer book, the different psalms that show up in the Gospels. So we have two readings today. The first is from Psalm 78, verses 17 through 24, and the second is John 6, 25 through 35. So hear now God's holy word. Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? Even though he struck the rock so that water gushed out and torrents overflowed, can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of rage. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger mounted against Israel because they had no faith in God and did not trust his saving power. Yet... He commanded the skies above, opened the doors of heaven, and rained down on the manna to eat, and gave them the grain of heaven. Now John 6, 25 through 35. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we might see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors, they ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, Give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our hymn today is number 365 in the United Methodist Hymnal, 365, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. Uh, So please join me now over at the drums as I play and we all sing together grace greater than our sin. If you would like to find the lyrics for the or the words for the sin, you can find them in the online bulletin. But grace greater than our sin. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sins. Sin and despair like the sea waves cold Threaten the soul with infinite loss Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold Points to the refuge, the mighty cross Grace, grace, 
God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail or wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Brighter than snow you will be today. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. God rained down upon the manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. A woman stands up in the midst of a crowded sanctuary. The gathered people called church had been arguing back and forth about the one thing needful, about what everyone must do in order to be saved. Some are suggesting that baptism is the singular requirement, though even then they begin to squabble among themselves about how much water needs to be used, how many people need to be present for the baptism, and how old the baptized person should be. While others, meanwhile, are offering their thoughts about how it's about making a public declaration of faith, like kneeling at the front of a church during an altar call. And still yet, others are boisterously complaining that unless someone tithes to the church, unless they come to church every single Sunday, they shouldn't have any expectations of going up at the end, but instead of going down. Now, a woman, she stands and she patiently raises her hand and she waits until everyone stops their bickering and they all give her their attention. And she says, I've been doing some reading in this here book, well, motioning toward a Bible. She says, and it seems to me that the whole of faith is this, grace plus nothing. Grace plus nothing. Excuse me. A man shouts from a nearby pew, if it's grace plus nothing, then why bother being good or coming to church or praying for your enemies or tithing or doing anything really? And the woman calmly responds, well, we do those things because they make life more fun. Another person interjects, so what you're saying is, in the end, it doesn't matter how you live your life? And the woman says, of course It matters how we live, but how we live doesn't earn us squat in the kingdom of God. 
Now it seems for the briefest of moments that the, the Holy Spirit has finally showed up in this church through the woman, and yet it only takes a few minutes before they resort back to their old arguing ways. And now, rather than having many, many different arguments, there are two different groups in the church. There are those who align themselves with the, those who raised objections, those who were righteously offended with the talk of grace plus nothing. And eventually that whole crowd, they storm out of the sanctuary to go start their own church down the street, and they call it Works Righteousness, UMC. However, the other half, those who agreed with the woman, they all perk up in their pews when she says grace plus nothing. Because for the first time, perhaps the very first time, they actually hear the good part of the good news. And so while the other half goes off to start their own church, the half intoxicated by grace, they keep showing up week after week, and they come dragging in all their friends, the disabused, the forgotten, the overlooked, the last, the least, the lost, and the little, and together they relish in the good news we call the gospel. This is a parable of grace. God rained down upon the manna to eat, and he gave them the grain of heaven. The Psalms understand the human condition. In them, we, we catch a mirror glimpse of ourselves at our very worst and at our very best. The psalmist, time and time again, lifts up their innermost feelings, articulating the needs, the, the fears, the, the hopes, and the shames in a way that none of us could on our own. In short, the Psalms, they tell the truth. God's people were a lot more nimble were forced to truly live by faith while God was leading them through the desert. They had a, a portable tent for worship. They had the Ark of the Covenant, which reminded them again and again to love God and to love one another. And yet they couldn't help themselves from looking backward all while God was leaving, leading them forward. Moses, what are you doing dragging us out here? At least back in Egypt, we had three square meals a day and we had water to drink. So what if we had to be slaves for it? Better to be a slave in full than to be free and hungry, in my opinion. So Moses takes the staff, the very staff that had divided the waters of the Red Sea. He strikes a rock in the desert and water streams forth. But it still ain't enough for the people of God. Moses! The water's nice and all, but can God spread a table in the wilderness? We're hungry. Therefore, the psalmist tells us, when the Lord heard their complaints, God was full of rage. God's anger mounted against God's people because they had no faith and because they did not trust. Yet, yet, yet God rained down on them manna to eat, and gave them the grain of heaven. This is a parable of grace. Jesus spends the afternoon feeding 5,000 through his divine mercy and love. And when all is said and done, bellies full to the brim, a crowd gathers to question the behavior of this God in the flesh. Jesus' response to all their questions, You are looking for me, but for all the wrong reasons. I delight in giving you food to eat, but I also have something else to offer. What must we do? The crowds intone. Jesus simply responds, believe. Okay, okay, Jesus, we, we get that part, but how do we know that you can make good on your promise? Can you rain down manna for us from heaven just like Moses did? 
And Jesus says, Moses didn't give you the manna. It was God who gave the good gift. Sure, they say, that's fine, whatever. We'd like some of that bread from heaven, please. And Jesus answers, have you not heard a single word I've said? I am the bread. This is another parable of grace. What wondrous good news is it that when Jesus showed up proclaiming the beginning of God's new kingdom, he did so not with sermons about the Trinity or the atonement or justification or any other big or abstract theological mishmash. Instead, Jesus begins by pointing right at our stomachs to that gnawing, unsatisfied emptiness within and invites us to eat. Jesus feeds the hungry. That's who Jesus is. Notably, he fills the 5,000 to the brim and then tells the gathered people to work for the food that endures forever. And the crowds, they prepare themselves to hear Jesus' religious, religious pitch. Notice, before he can speak again, they're already asking what's required of them. But this time, he doesn't end with the guilt trip they've all heard so many times before. There's no, okay, I fed you, so now all of you have to go feed 50 people. There's no, because I did this for you, now you have to do something for me. Jesus just says, I myself am the bread. Whoever eats of me will never be hungry. Think think of the crowds during the days of Moses. Think of the, the crowds during the day of Jesus. Imagine how they must feel while eating the bread. Do they deserve it? Did they earn it? No. I mean, the psalmist reminds us that they had done everything but deserve it. God's wrath was kindled against them. God's rage was full to the brim, and yet God gave them bread anyway. The 5,000, they didn't have to lay out all their good works. They didn't have to show Jesus their perfect attendance at synagogue before Jesus delights in filling their bellies. This is grace. It's grace plus nothing. And just when we, the people of God, we expect to be clobbered with guilt, you didn't listen in the wilderness, you haven't loved your neighbors enough, instead of getting clobbered with guilt, we actually get clobbered with grace. And when that happens, those blessed moments, we begin to realize that whenever we've gone looking for peace or happiness or fulfillment by doing this, that, and the other, we've actually overlooked the God who has always been looking for us. God is the one who offers us the gift we simply don't deserve. At the heart of Christianity is this. We don't have to give or say or pay anything. In Christ, it has all been given, it has all been said, it has all been paid for us. And yet it can be very, very difficult to receive the gift of God's grace. Consider, even after being delivered from slavery, God's people still grumbled in the wilderness. Even after the 5,000 had been filled with good food, they still want to know what more they have to do. It's difficult for us to receive God's gift because in our you-get-what-you-deserve world, accepting a gift can be one of the hardest things we're ever asked to do. We're, all of us, we're all kind of consumed by this fantasy of the self-made person that we can work and earn anything and everything our hearts desire. 
except the grace of God, it tells us that there is nothing about God's love which we can earn or deserve or work for, because even the best of us can never get it. It has to be given. It can only come as a gift. As Karl Barth reminds us, it is by grace and only by grace that we are accepted by God. And yet this question lingers. Can God spread a table in the wilderness? Now that question is still often our question today. We look at the wildness of our lives. We spend far more time looking backward than we do looking forward. And whenever we encounter our own disappointments, our own sins, our own shames, we wonder, we wonder if we deserve what God has done and we wonder if God can do anything about us. Frankly, I think it's why a lot of us keep showing up to church week after week, even if we can't, if we can't meet in person, we do so because we want an answer to our question. Can God make something of our nothing? Can God spread a table in the wilderness of our lives? And the answer, quite simply, is yes. God can and God does all the time. God is the good shepherd who goes after the one lost sheep. God is the prodigal father who rushes out to find us in the street even before we have a chance to apologize. God is the one who, rather than leaving us to our own devices, he comes to dwell in the muck and in the mire of this life with us to offer us grace plus nothing. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. It's all grace, which is why it's good news. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, in whose perfect kingdom no sword is drawn but the sword of righteousness, no strength known but the strength of love, so mightily spread your spirit that peace might reign today and forever. Amen. God has gathered us together even in these strange ways and in these strange times. God has proclaimed God's word to us and now we respond to what God has said. We respond by offering ourselves, our time, our efforts, our prayers, but also with our tithes and our offerings. I encourage you to give with glad and generous hearts to the glory of God through Cokesbury United Methodist Church. You may give online. The link for doing so is in the video description. You may give by sending a check through the mail to the church, or if you live locally, you can drop it off here at the church. We have a drop slot by our main office doors. Uh, but give. Give with glad and generous hearts that Cokesbury might continue to be a place that proclaims the truly good news that grace is for all, that it's grace plus nothing. Another way that we like to respond to what God has said is by affirming our faith using the Apostles' Creed. So please join me and affirming our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, 
the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Uh, one final way to respond to what God has said this week for us today uh, is baptism of the Lord's Sunday. It's a time in the life of the church where, more often than not, we encourage folks to remember their baptisms and to be thankful. Uh, baptism, contrary to how it's often described, is less about what we do. It's less about what we bring to the baptismal font, and it's far more about what God does. God is the primary actor in baptism. And churches like ours that, that participate in infant baptism demonstrate God's powerful grace plus nothing in that God comes to us before we come to God. God claims us as God's children before we can claim God as our Father. God believes in us before we believe in him. So today, tomorrow, sometime this week, I encourage you to find some water, maybe when you're washing your hands, which you should still be doing all the time, or when you're taking a shower, or when you're cleaning the dishes, it doesn't matter, but when you find yourself touching some water, remember your baptism. Be thankful, but more than anything, remember the promise that God has made to you, that God has already done for you and for me and for the world far more than we could ever do for ourselves, and that's exactly what makes the good news so good. So with that, I'd like to offer you this blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life, death, resurrection, help you to see, know, and believe that it is grace plus nothing. It is grace upon grace upon grace. Oh, what a joy it is to know that it's all grace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. I look forward to gathering with you again next week, same time, same place, to listen more to Jesus' favorite playlist so we can learn more about this crazy Messiah of ours and what he has come to do for us. Go in peace. Amen, amen, amen. We shall overcome